Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to Now That's What I Call the Very Best of What If... Dot, 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 question mark. Season 1, Volume 3. Oh yes indeed, folks. If you have listened to these shows previously, then you will know the drill by now. Now that a big old Disney Plus, Marvel or Star Wars show has come to an end, we are going to get together and talk about our favourite moments from that season and we're going to intersperse excerpts from an interview that I have done with the show's creative team. As we talk. Sound good? Amazing. Yeah. So. Sounds amazing. Those voices you've heard, you may be thinking to yourself, was that the voice of Empire's Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara? Yes. Was that the voice of the best dressed man in film journalism, Amon Warman? And was yes, that the so. voice of the <laughs> nicest man in showbiz, Ben Travis? Yeah. Well, no, because we couldn't actually afford them. But what we're getting is pretty decent sound-alikes for the next hour or so. Uh, so welcome all. Welcome jobbing actors. How are you all? <laughs> and we are the guardians of the podverse. That's the worst band I've ever heard. <laughs> but my mom is pretty good. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can do Helen. I can do Helen. Okay. Women! Women are brilliant! <laughs> Done. I mean, I'm sorry. All I heard was Helen there. That's amazing. Down with the patriarchy! <laughs> God bless you for thinking there are jobbing actors who are cheaper than us. <laughs> <laughs> jobbing actors heard what we were paying for this uh, this one hour thing. Ben's going. Hang on, who's payment for this? <laughs> sorry, Ben. We're on staff. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't trickle down to us. The the, the, the trickle down economics doesn't doesn't apply to this podcast for Ooh. us. I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, jobbing actors uh, heard what the going rate was and told me to go stuff myself. So there you go. So anyway, we are joined by the actual Helen O'Hara. Hello. hello. The actual Amon Warman. Hello. Hello. And someone pretending to be Ben Travis. Hello. Hello. I'm doing a better wow. job. Okay. <laughs> hey, what's up with this podcast? It's Ben Travis here. I'm from Nottingham. Nottingham. <laughs> Anyway, so the format of this is very, very simple. Uh, we're going to be chatting about our favourite moments from What If, which is a show that I think we started out, we've already talked about this on a What If spoiler special that's available to spoiler special subscribers. So we talked about how we kind of went into the show thinking it would be a little bit, you know, just fun every week. Fun every week. A little bit inessential, but the sort of thing you could maybe catch up with. And then, then gradually it began to reveal it was all part of one connected shared narrative that may or may not have repercussions on the actual MCU. So it is very much worth talking about. Had a lot of fun episodes and a lot of fun moments. Uh, and as I say, studded in between our chat about these moments is going to be a few excerpts from an interview I did last week with the show's head writer, AC Bradley, and the show's director, Brian Andrews. I spoke to them both together. You'll be able to hear that interview in full on our spoiler special channel that is for spoiler special subscribers so if you don't already subscribe if you haven't already signed up then do come on in the water's lovely you can find out all the details on empireonline.com forward slash spoiler specials or you can go to my pinned tweet i'm at chris hewitt for more details of how to do that anyway first up general thoughts about the show general feelings about the show for those who didn't hear us talk on the spoiler special. Uh, what do we make of What If? And did did your feelings about the show change over the course of its nine episodes? Yes. 
Thanks, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, uh, look, I, I liked it some episodes more than others. I got very weary in the middle with every episode leave, ending on a complete downer of a note. Um, I thought that was boring, ultimately. It's the EastEnders gambit is what they call oh. it. In- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, there's a reason I don't watch East, EastEnders, you know, like, give me a happy ending now and again. Not that kind, Chris. Oh, hey, <laughs> come on now. Come on now. Like your mind wasn't there. Anywho. Um, <laughs> I was actually trying to think of a joke about Spurs um, going, this is much like being okay. a Spurs fan. If you're watching the Spurs game, oh, I see. then they right. all okay. end badly as well, we'll end badly. except they're doing all right this season. Not a Spurs fan. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I got bored of the string of three or four um, very downbeat endings in a row. And then, uh, okay, they, they were building to something. They did something with it. But I kind of wish that What If had been a little bit more pure almost and just been a string of what ifs and and just completely unconnected and and wild and crazy and fun and silly and you know uh, that might have been fun but you know this is what we got so god knows it, it has worked pretty well for marvel so far I sort of totally agree and kind of disagree with that in that um, I feel the same way. I was kind of mixed on the show all the way through. I, I liked the first couple of episodes. I liked the remix factor. It felt like an MCU remix. And then that middle run of episodes, it, they, yeah, they were all a bit downbeat. And I, I still wasn't really vibing with the animation style. I'm not a huge fan of the mm. of the character models and the cell shaded style that they went with. But then as the series amped up, as it started to get interconnected, as the Watcher became more of the doer, and um, <laughs> we had that kind of couple of episode arc, really, I started to get really invested. And it felt like it really lent into the sort of animated properties in those final episodes uh, to do stuff that would be difficult to do on this scale in live action. So I kind of would have loved it to have been completely standalone and not meant anything. And at the same time, my favorite bits were the ones that led up to something bigger. Um, But I think there was loads of good stuff in there and uh, nice to see them trying something different, trying what feels like a narrative experiment uh, and, and trying to give these things stakes that make you care because as soon as you do alt universe stuff it's kind of hard to grapple onto it or to find a reason to, to be really invested and i felt that by the end they had achieved that uh yeah i liked it for the most part for all the reasons you say uh with a title like what if um that is sort of licensed to do things that uh are not possible in what i call the mcu prime uh universe and i feel like we've got a nice variety of that across uh a huge number of characters my main issue with it was that uh, in a number of episodes, the storytelling felt very rushed, like they were trying to pack so much in. And because of that, a lot of what they were trying to do didn't land as effectively as it could and as it should have. Uh, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the escalating nature of the cosmic battles, which for me were probably my favorite element of the show. And yeah, I, I, like, I like the interconnected nature of it. And I think it pays off in the end too. I really liked the way that it played on our affection for and our knowledge of Mm. the MCU. So Mm -hmm. twisting and tweaking moments and outcomes, just just a smidge, but just enough to make it interesting. Do you think, though, before we get into our favorite moments, and I'm going to get moments from each of you, do you think that it might have swung for the fences and feared away from the MCU a little bit and maybe introduced a character or two that we hadn't really met before in the MCU. I mean, there's the Watcher. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, we, sure. you know, we, we've met the Watcher for the first time properly. There were Watchers, of course, glimpsed very briefly in Guardians 2 at the end, one of the uh, 
one of the post-credits things at the end of Guardians 2 is Stan Lee talking to a whole bunch of Watchers. Uh, so they have been in the MCU before, but this is the Watcher. This is Uatu. This is the 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 comics version of the Watcher, um, given a Jeffrey Wright upgrade, uh, and rightly so as well. There's a pun there. Uh, but apart from that, do you think that they might have really gone for it? You know, this might have been a way of introducing the Fantastic Four or how we're doing an X Men episode. I think the the problem basically the starriness of the voice cast. I think was both a massive advantage in many ways and uh, a bar to them doing that because they taught us to expect, if not the person who played it in the in the live action universe, at least a sound alike. Having that as their kind of guiding principle means it was always less likely, I guess, that they were going to introduce new major Marvel characters. Um, because, you know, because Jeffrey Wright, I would imagine, has a little clause in his contract somewhere saying that he's, you know, first choice if they put the watcher in the in the live action universe as well but they won't want to cast the likes of the x-men or the fantastic four that way and they won't given this model necessarily want to cast randoms in those roles i guess yeah i agree like you know we've uh said this before uh on various podcasts but the engagement on what if has not been the same engagement as uh the other sort of you know tv shows or marvel films and i don't think you want to introduce them you know the likes of uh, Fantastic Four or Next Men uh, in this show uh, for that reason. I do expect that we will see them in What If in future seasons once they're introduced into uh, the MCU Prime to the universe properly. But yeah, I think now would be too early for that. All right. So that's still, yeah, okay. That's fair. And I was just throwing it out there for discussion. But do you think also, Amon, you mentioned there that the engagement around the show, I think it's fair to say, has not hit the levels of the live action shows. I think a lot of people felt, and in fact, we did. We took, we (laughs) took, we stopped doing weekly spoiler specials for this because we thought it was just going to be a a fun, inessential show that you could catch up with when you felt like it, uh, that it didn't demand your attention on a weekly basis. Do you think that they, should have revealed earlier that it was all interconnected because they don't really do that until the penultimate episode. There's a hint at the end of the Thor episode, which is episode seven, Mm. that, you know, when we see Vision Ultron turn up uh, or, you know, Infinity Ultron turn up, if you you want to call them that, and you go, oh, what the hell's Mm. going on here? But, you know, it doesn't really get picked up until the next episode. I think, like, they got the memo on that uh, midway through the season because it wasn't actually uh, the sort of, you know, episodes themselves that revealed, that first revealed that it was interconnected. They, they revealed it in the mid-season trailer after like episode five or so. And that was when it became Which clear. Which I didn't oh. see and wasn't aware of. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which I probably, you know, regret watching because, you know, I would have liked to have been surprised about that. Um, yeah. Do I think they should have revealed it? It's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, that would have got more eyeballs, right? That would have I, got more. I don't know that it would have. I think it might have made it no? feel like homework even more than it kind of did sometimes. I just the the, the problem with the interconnectedness. Like I didn't necessarily get it from Infinite Ultron turning up simply because every episode at that point was ending on a downer. So I was like, oh look, another downer. There's a shock. <laughs> you know, it didn't it didn't seem surprising to me at all. So those didn't necessarily clearly set anything up to me. They just seemed monotonous and sad. Um, that, that's harsh, but fair. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I, I don't know that it would have. 
I think it might have made it feel like, oh God, so I've got to watch every episode of this just to figure out what's happening. You know, people have stuff going on, even now, when we're not allowed out of our house as much. And and I feel like people might not want to. I feel like that's why, that's, that's an element of why people are excited about Marvel stuff though, because it's all interconnected. Yeah, but there's a difference. There's there's a difference between, you know, building up over a period of years leisurely and then, you know, ha- every single thing having to build to some kind of crossover climax. I genuinely think there's a big difference between building to Infinity War and Endgame the way that they did and having every single thing have to have some kind of interconnectivity because at some point it does become exhausting. This is what p- puts people off getting into comics. It's this endless kind of homework that you have to do. And there have to be standalone stories. And I honestly thought this was going to be a standalone story. This, above all things, was going to be standalone stuff. So, yeah, for me, I don't, it would not have made me want to watch it more. I think, I think there is a pull to the sense of things, of there being a bigger plan, of there being a bigger story, even just not necessarily connecting to wider MCU stuff, but just within this series itself i think there's something in that and i i think it just speaks to that they may be just slightly miscalibrated this one in that i think i like the idea of it being a surprise towards the end of the season i have to say for me we got the first three episodes for review and i watched the first three and when the third episode was what if we killed all the avengers it suddenly kind of came into my head of oh will this be about building a different lineup of avengers some kind of other team up um so i kind Ah. of had that idea early on but i like the idea of do you know what towards the end of the series you're going to get a bit of a payoff of actually these aren't all standalone but i think the fact that it didn't grab people's imaginations or necessarily pull viewers in through that whole ride running up to that then meant that it became this kind of oh no you should catch up on this because it leads Mm -hmm. to something rather than oh these are really great in their own right anyway i'm having a really fun time watching them every week and now i've got this bonus surprise that actually it all connects because as much as i love this stuff and i did enjoy these episodes there are some that i really really liked i didn't feel that rush of appointment viewing just in their quality Mm. in their own right of oh i need to get up and watch this as soon as i can because I'm so excited to see what they do with it this week. I was just enjoying it every week. And when I had the time, when I was able to catch up on, if I had half an hour at lunch, oh, I'll stick on what if I haven't, oh, that came out the other day. So I don't think it yeah. had that that big hit in the sense that they thought it would. But I, I do think there is something enjoyable in the fact that the payoff for the series is even just within this kind of corner of the universe or multiverse, there is something wider going on. Interesting. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but of course, this is the very best of what if. Sorry. Now that's what I call the very best of what if. <laughs> dot dot dot. Question mark. Volume three. Uh, so let's get into it now. Let's let's talk about our favorite moments from the show. Um, ordinarily, I'd have asked you to write down lists. I'm sure you all did. Anyway, I'm sure you were all course. diligent and did your homework. Uh, <laughs> you so, so let's well. let's start with uh, Amon. Let's talk about a, a moment, a favorite moment from any of the nine episodes. I am going to start with Uati versus Ultron, because that sort of really, when, as Ben says, he stopped watching, sort of started getting involved. Um, and, you know, that, that line he has sort of during the fight, like, you cannot compute the power of my will. And then he sort of changes, you know, he gets his armor on, the music, you know, goes to another level. Um, the music by Laura Carpenter, by the way, she mentioned, is, is very, very good all, th- all the way throughout. And she has that Watcher theme 
sort of at the start of every episode and that what that theme sort of you know gets like a really sort of cool uh sort of lift in that moment um it's a bit negated by the fact that he gets his ass handed to him immediately afterwards immediately after he says that line um but it's it's really yeah, it's sort like, of cool you know, I, I can compute the power of your will as it turns <laughs> <really> out <can. laughs> but it's still very 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 cool and i enjoyed that moment i like the 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 build-up to that moment as well because you've had various points uh, as we talked about in the main spoiler podcast of a couple of the characters at points that maybe i think dr strange at some point goes like, oh who's this up there who's narrating in the sky yeah. and that moment though <laughs> <laughs> where uh, the watcher basically just shits himself when he sees ultron really see him and, it, and you feel him just go mm. yeah. <laughs> it's basically it's george mcfly falling out of the tree and back to the future is what it is you know it's the voyeur getting caught mm-hmm. hang on so are you suggesting the watcher is sneaking up the branch of reality to mm-hmm. have a wank over what ultron's no. doing your words chris not mine because <laughs> that's, really that's not being around the bush here helen that's what george mcfly is about to do in back to the future he's about to beat around out the bush tree. yes he's about to beat around the bush <laughs> Helen O'Hara, or an actress who sounds just like <laughs> Helen O'Hara. I am disgusted and appalled, uh, but also a little bit impressed. Well Thanks. done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been working with you now for way too long. <laughs> <laughs> it's osmosis. Uh, yes, that is a great moment. I really like that moment. And uh, thank you for suggesting it, because as chance would have it, we have AC Bradley and Brian Andrews talking about that exact moment when the Watcher... Uh, his presence is sensed by Ultron. Here it is, folks. In the past, the Watcher has been handled as just this omnipotent thing that is like distant and removed. And I don't think any of us are really fully into that idea. We've seen that. We've been there, done that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. The notion that he has a personality, <laughs> he might actually have an opinion, um, and that he loves the stories is so great. The fact that he is us and being able to hold a mirror up to that and and nerd out. I think even some fans on, online at times when they're watching the show, they 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 point that out as well, you know, um, and and feel, especially those later episodes when when he reacts to certain things that he didn't see coming and wants to get involved. Yeah. Seeing seeing some of the chats that spawn from that and and having people go, he's uh, you know he's reacting like us. He is us, you know. Mm-hmm. That that's hilarious because people are vibing it the same way that we intended it to be. Absolutely, I, I love the uh, there's there's two holy shit moments for for him whenever um, <laughs> whenever Strange Supreme senses his presence and then whenever Ultron obviously senses his presence and then yeah goes about ruining his day in a very very interesting yeah. way. Um, can you talk yeah. about those two moments where 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 that idea came from that the you know he's a being that's almost outside reality but. He can be detected. He can be influenced. He can be a participant. Well, before the um, aforementioned Tony Stark episode got pushed to season two, um, Doctor Strange was episode five. That was our midpoint. Mm-hmm. So we love the idea that in that episode is when someone finally senses the Watcher, that we kind of get this moment of connection, that the Watcher joins our stories as more than a narrator for the first time. Um. Because in the comic books, he does. And usually when the Watcher makes himself known is on these universe-ending events in this strange counted. Um, Mm -hmm. And the idea that he, Strange Supreme had now elevated himself so far from where we know the regular Doctor Strange that he's he's absorbed so much power that he can kind of sense the Watcher, sense this being that's stronger than everything, was kind of a nice moment and a a nice... um, 
way of signaling that he's changed so much. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of just like the, there was a panel in one of the original what ifs. And I can't believe, I think it might've been either like Hank Pym or Reed Richards who's in the panel, but it was this giant watcher, like this 50 foot tall watcher next to this small person. And it was just this great stark image. And I was like, I want, we want to show that we want to see yeah, totally. of that. And it kind of fell together with Dr. Strange. Cause that whole episode is basically, it's a tragedy because he's worn over and over. He's worn by Wong. He's worn by uh, the ancient one, by himself, by um, Obain slash Cagliostro. And he just fails to listen. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. even the watcher is standing there going, we sent you everything. The universe gave you every chance and you just kept saying no. So why should mm-hmm. I say yes? Yeah. And then having that occur in episode five, then when we're b- breaking the story and figuring out stuff for you know the Ultron episode, you know, the fact that he can take out his whole universe and things get so quiet and he starting to reach that cosmic awareness and stuff that he can, the notion of like the, that he's narrating and that the vision, vision Ultron is like, what, who, who is that? It just came. It's like, oh yeah, we got, this is how you have to do it. Like he's just narrating and he's just like, who the hell is talking? You know, it's like, what the hell is this? You know? Well, the fun of that moment was we were talking about like, what would take, what would it take for the watcher to break his oath? And um, he doesn't actually break his oath in that episode. He's forced into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Ultron comes after him. <laughs> yeah. And so his breaking his oath is really in episode nine, because that was kind of a nice moment of like, he doesn't actually have to make the choice. The choice comes to him. Mm-hmm. And that's such a shock because you're waiting for him to choose to interfere. It's like, no, no, no. The fight's coming. Like the punch is landing on his face. Like he's not getting a say in this. Yeah, And that was very much a very freeing decision and then a very, very amazing moment to get to show. Yeah. All right. Yes. So uh, Amon's first moment has been chosen. Uh, Helen has clearly not done her homework. She's going to be working on a list what? while Ben... I'm ready. While ben is talking about his first moment. I'm ready ben. with a very unsurprising answer. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. All right. Ben, Ben, sorry. You're, oh, you're out of the picture. Benched. Helen, I have not thrilled. been chosen, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the watcher said, oh, no, you can sit down. This is fine. <laughs> Go on, help. Uh, my favorite moment was um, brave little Steve turning up in the Hydra Stomper. Oh, of course it's, it is. Was. You are was, such a cliche. I was literally messaging my sister going, so brave. Look at his little face. So brave and so tiny. So brave and tiny. I also got that message. <laughs> Brave little toaster. Um, yeah, I just, I just thought that um, that that understanding of his essential nature, I thought, was brilliantly, brilliantly done, and the the fact that you know there was maybe a little bit of a of a not upset, but a little bit of disappointment when Peggy got the power and he didn't, but no big deal, and he just accepts her and he supports her, and he's just still Steve. Loved it, absolutely loved it. Obviously. Yeah, and she falls head over heels for him, of despite the fact that does. he looks like that. Yeah, and he's a little scrawny, little five foot nothing fella. He could barely lift up a dustbin lid. <laughs> so brave, <laughs> so brave, so so brave. What that clearly indicates, Chris, is that Steve Rogers got game. I mean, look, I've I've talked to other women about this. Like, the, the consensus is she was planning to jump him even before the serum hit. I mean, she would have broken him. Look, at that. <laughs> okay, not. I mean, when she had the serum and he didn't, maybe. But I mean, look at that scene in the car. There's a spark there. I'm just saying. there is a spark. Yeah, but she would have snapped him in two, Helen. Well, he would have had fun though. 
He would have died happy. That's why I immediately hopped in the Hydra Stomper. <laughs> he was like, this is the only way that I'm not going to get shattered into a million pieces. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Uh, the Hydra Stomper. Great the euphemism. The Hydra Stomper. I don't have uh, AC Bradley or Brian Andrews talking about the Hydra Stomper, sadly. But um, but nevertheless, a good moment. A good Steve Rogers-centric moment. Did you like any other Steve Rogers moments, Helen? During the, the, what about the bit where he was one of the first um, Avengers to be turned into a zombie? Did I didn't you like, like that, that bit? No, I didn't. No. no, I did not like that. No, do not like it. No, did not. No, hard pass. No, hard pass. No. Uh-uh. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Mm-mm. I did like the moment where he was about to be sworn in as president of the United States. That was fun. Yeah, that was cool. That that was more believable than the zombie thing. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Now, do you think that the zombie virus would have overcome the super soldier serum that is coursing through Steve Rogers' veins right? so readily? Oh, into a content virus. Of course it would. Oh, <laughs> I just I can't be having with zombieism in Marvels. I'm sorry, I don't like it. Just not having it. Just not. No, no I refuse. No. Well, you've set me up. If if you do want to choose me now, Chris, <laughs> Helen has set me up for a moment. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. That's really really good. Okay, so I'm gonna go. Let the wheel fall where it may. I'm on. No! It's time now no! for. It. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding, Ben. So my moment will be from the zombies episode, and it was a moment that I felt sad about, but was a cool visual and something that I didn't really expect going into this, which is a giant zombie wasp. In terms of giving you like cool- you just describe my nightmare. <laughs> oh my god, giant, yeah. a giant zombie wasp. But wouldn't that mean normal size zombie Sun- Sunny Birch by extension? Oh my god, no! Sunny Birch would never be turned into a zombie. He's far too smart and slippery. He's one step ahead of the zombies at every turn. Is he? He's slightly vulnerable though because he's not wearing socks. Mm-hmm. So Bite him he, on his ankle. You know, he, he would avoid all the zombies, <laughs> but then like stub his toe, and then like a bit of zombie blood would get into his toe, and that's how he becomes a zombie. Ew. So is that it? Yes, so zombie, zombie wasp. moment with the giant zombie giant wasp, zombie yeah. wasp was like a really really cool image. They kind of hit that emotional beat quite nicely of uh, of of. Uh, hope basically sacrificing herself so that they could get away and I mean in terms of the the zombie stuff it's quite fun that they still have their powers obviously they really play up the zombie scarlet witch as a threat uh but to mm-hmm. yeah have the 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 zombiness added to gigantic wasp um causing havoc stood around all the other zombies uh was a very cool image yeah, yeah. I love the connection that hope has with spidey in that mm. episode really sweet a sort of uh, sister brother type thing, yeah. I like that. Spidey and Bucky were both cute in that episode. Only one episode, unless I'm wrong, someone can correct me on this. Only one episode with Peter Parker. Am I right, or am that I wrong? That is correct. That is correct, yeah. right? That yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Now, is he the least used heavy hitter? I um, would I say yes. Hulk wasn't much in it either. Ruffalo's in two episodes, mm. so he's in... Mm, no, Ruffalo's not in two episodes. No, he is in two episodes. No, he's not in two episodes. Well, this is no, fun. No, he is in two episodes. <laughs> well, Hulk's in two episodes. Hulk's in the... Uh, in, he's in the, th- the episode three with um, Hank Pym trying to kill all the Avengers. <laughs> and he's in episode five where he actually gets a, you know to do a little bit of business and then you know, yeah. the Hulk actually finally 
he does what he doesn't do in Infinity War and he comes to the rescue uh, at the end. So that's good. So uh, Tony, as we've said in the spoiler special, uh, and in fact, this is, I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead into a little bit of an excerpt from AC Bradley and Brian Andrews in a second. Uh, but Tony is in a bunch of episodes and ends up dying horribly in every single one of them. Uh, Steve's in a couple of episodes, isn't he? Yes, he yeah. is. Captain Marvel's in a couple of episodes. Thor's in a couple of episodes. Doctor Strange, obviously. T'Challa, obviously. Four episodes for Chadwick Boseman. His swan song, uh, ultimately, as an actor. Uh, so that means, yeah, of the of the mainstay hardcore Avengers, there's only one Peter Parker. There's only one Peter Parker. There's well, <laughs> only one Parker. Peter Parker. Parker. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> he swings he swings when he wants Peter Parker he swings when he wants oh dear yes only one Peter Parker so that's interesting why Why is that Sony I don't know Sony you think Sony I mean I, I certainly think Sony the, the contract with Sony may have limited Tom Holland from being involved potentially I, I'm, that's a you know good I theory. haven't good seen theory. his contract I don't know but it's possible um, Hudson Thames was was fantastic as Peter Parker. To the point where you thought it was Tom Holland. I really, really did. I was shocked when I saw that it wasn't. I thought it was more um, like Tom Sweden or Tom Denmark, but uh, it, it wasn't too far <laughs> off. It was. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, good soundalikes. Good soundalikes indeed, including Mick Wingert. Oh my God, you're gonna love the segue. Mick Wingert, who is the voice of. Uh, Tony Stark slash Iron Man mm. in What If, and he uh, he replaces Robert Downey Jr. in a few episodes to the point where you know it's such a good impression that occasionally you thought, how are they just reusing dialogue from Iron Man here? No, it's Mick Winger doing a really really good RDJ. Uh, and as I said before, Tony Stark doesn't fare so well in episodes of What If, and that was one of the very first things that I asked AC Bradley and Brian Andrews about, uh, or quite frankly, I took them to task on their quite frankly shocking treatment of Tony Stark. Here's the response. Enjoy. What do you guys have against Tony Stark? (laughs) I love Tony Stark. Seeing Iron Man for the first time back in my 20s, I'm pretty sure I saw it with a hangover at the uh, arc flight in Hollywood. Um, it was the first, it was one of the first times a movie had been able to combine the superhero storytelling with such great character work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really a character story. And then there just happens to be all this great action around it. Mm-hmm. And I came out of that theater going, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to write. How the hell do I get in that room? <laughs> and it took me about t- over 10 years to get there. But I was so happy to be on What If. And the first time I got to write Interior Avengers Tower, I mean, you write that and then you get up and you go get a glass of water because it's a little much. <laughs> so we love Tony Stark. I personally love Tony Stark as a person with daddy issues. Yeah. And <laughs> we had a great episode that was featuring Tony that sadly got pushed to season two. Yeah. And to be honest, because that was always our focal point, And that's the story of Tony we really wanted to tell, aside from the Killmonger episode. Mm-hmm. It, it was never intentional. It's just the way it ended up playing because of yeah. COVID production issues. It's just, it's just you know, every time Tony appears this season, apart from that one brief <laughs> glimpse in the last episode, you guys kill him. You kill him. And, and usually horribly <laughs> as well. I mean, poor guy. What's he done? <laughs> He's the best. 
yeah it's just we swear it's yeah it's somehow it just turned out that way it wasn't meant to be to to be that you know when we had the the original 30 ideas to give to kevin there was other episodes where tony might pop up or be a part of etc but the ones that just got chosen you know um had a little bit of those that ancillary effect and you realize when they're all bumped up against each other you're like oh my goodness this is happening but as ashley stated it's like the edge would have been it would have felt much differently if we, if we were able to have that one episode in where we wanted it. It was strategically placed to feel like you get plenty of Tony and uh, you know, it takes the edge off the rest, but unfortunately because of COVID and issues it had to move and that, that, that upset the equilibrium a little bit. So yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't in purpose. <laughs> yeah. So Chris, were you saying in terms of the Tom Holland voice, it was close, but it could have been Tom Hollander. just to check yes no he sounds completely different whereas if they had got the actual Tom Holland and by that of course I mean the noted historian Mm -hmm. then that would have been Tom Holland-est you see or perhaps they could have got someone else oh I don't know the bloke who fixed James Dyer's roof or the Mm -hmm. former I bought Missy former or Mm -hmm. Ipswich Town footballer Tom Holland there's another one isn't there there's another one that we're missing there's Tom Holland, the uh, oh, the director of Fright Night. Director, the director of Fright Night. We need to assemble the Happy birthday to that joke. The guardians of we the do. Tom Hollands. <laughs> <laughs> you have been chosen. <laughs> yes. Instead, they they got Hudson Thames, who only sounds Tom Holland esque. I don't know him. <laughs> Holland is that his name? What's his name? Hudson Thames. Hudson Thames. Is it Thames? Thames, yeah. Thames. Yeah, so, Hudson, Thames. So yeah. this is this is a this is a, a human being. This is a this is a person. Let's just talk <laughs> about this for for a second before we, we choose another minute. Hudson Thames, <laughs> yep, you're shitting me, really? <laughs> Americans have like names. You know, it's weird. <sighs> Two of the great rivers of the world. <laughs> what are the chances, Helen? That's like Amazon Danube. <laughs> I know an American called Randy Bishop, Chris. All bets are off. Anyway, let's have another moment, shall we? Uh, that's, that's, good. that's going in reverse order. Ben, you're up next. Me again. Okay. I, yeah, two, mo- two moments in a row. Uh, I'm going to spin off Amon's moment, but we didn't talk about this specific thing, which I thought was really cool, which is when you have the fight between the Watcher and Mega Ultron. Does he have an official name? Helen said Infinite Ultron, which sounded cool. Is that an official thing? I think it is. I'm sure they said Ultron something in the interview, but I can't remember and I can't be bothered looking it up. I'm going to call him Mega Ultron. Um, so in the fight... Let's go with that. In the fight between uh, The Watcher and Mega Ultron, I feel like we got some really cool like multiverse imagery, which is Uatu being basically just like hoyed through multiple levels of reality uh, and, and mm. reality's kind of fracturing and them sort of mm. appearing on top of one another, but you can sort of smash through them like glass panes and seeing some of those uh, alternate parallel universes sort of appearing side by side in the same space. I really, really like that. It reminded me quite a bit of um, His Dark Materials and how they've envisioned Mm. it in that show and in the title sequence of that show. Uh, It also hits to the power of of Mega Ultron that he he can chuck people through realities themselves. Um, And it just felt like a really nice tease. If the way that they're bringing this into the MCU proper is 
that it's a multiverse story that we have over the course of everything that we've watched this year sort of cracked open the multiverse to an extent. This felt like our first proper chance to see what that might actually look like in a practical sense. I really enjoyed the way that they presented that. Um, so yes, that would be my moment. It would be the Watcher being chucked through uh, several shattering panes of reality. So Ultron, when he becomes like super mega duper Ultron, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of making Thanos look a little bit unambitious, don't mm. you think? Like the second he gets ultimate, unlimited, infinite power, Thanos just goes, right, I'm going to snap my fingers, I'm going to remove half the population of the universe, and then I'm going to burn the stones again so that whenever the universe repopulates itself over time, I'm not going to be able to do this again. So really, this is just a sticking plaster rather than an actual permanent solution. Exactly! Helen, oh, God! Helen, I, I, yeah, I, I could see Helen was building herself up to, to, to that. So, you know, which doesn't, you know, slightly undermines what he was trying to do. But, you know, in the long, you know, it was a nice short-term solution. Well done, Thanos. No, absolutely no? not. Okay. No. Um, Again, kill it or disappearing half the universe. Not well done. Mm-mm. Hard pass. I, I think it works though <laughs> with what they do with Ultron here, right? Because uh, yeah, uh, yeah. In in a in a bad sense, uh, Thanos had had a humanity to him. He was a flawed person. Uh, it was kind of ideological, but it was also kind of personal at the same time. His whole quest to get the stones and stuff. Whereas Ultron is is pure ruthless android efficiency. Uh, well, Apple efficiency mm-hmm. really, because Android stuff I feel like is maybe less reliable. <gasps> Oh yeah, uh, and Android Ultron would have it would have stopped. It couldn't have handled the power ago. of the Infinity Stones and would have uh, crumbled yeah. immediately. But yeah, although having to buy a new Ultron every two years is really expensive. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, when guys. When, you, when your current Ultron just stops working for no reason, then you have to take it to the Ultron bar, and then yeah, <laughs> then but it's then really the, the palm upgrade. Ultron kind of connects so seamlessly to the ear Ultrons, and it's just too convenient to get out of that cycle, Chris. <laughs> I just feel like you need to. Broaden your horizons, guys, and look as Ultron does beyond your single universe to the multiverse. What? Go to a genius bar in a multiverse. I just feel like it's maybe don't to go to, to a genius bar because it's the most misnamed place on earth. Anyway, hey, my- those guys are geniuses. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. I, I do think that the, the Thanos thing was well, I think Thanos gets a kicking in this show, which I, I obviously enjoyed. Um, <laughs> But I think that the, the the fact that Ultron is ultimately more kind of efficient at it and has no limits on what he wants to do is is good one. Like it's it's clever and it's funny and it, and it points like the difference between those two supervillains, which you don't always get. And and I think it goes to the strength of Thanos's characterization in the films and gives us a little bit that we didn't really get from Ultron in the time that we had. Yeah, I mean, we're all huge fans here of Age of Ultron. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but you know, I think there's a little bit of rehabilitation of that film going on within the MCU. How important it was to to Endgame, for example. Uh, how much it factors into the likes of of Wanda Visions, where Wanda and Vision met for the first time. All that sort of stuff. It's it's all in there. Quicks where Quicksilver dies. Spoiler alert, by the way, for uh, Age of Ultron. <laughs> uh, but you know, I also think that there's a little bit of there's an element of if you were to do a ranking of the MCU villains, I think most people would put Ultron fairly low down the list, despite the fact I think he's a lot of fun, and I think James Spader is having a great time in the role, that the character doesn't really get the chance to to make a, an impact the way that, that Loki did, or certainly that Thanos does, um, in the, you know, in, in regards to his impact on the Avengers. And here you see how formidable he could be. 
Yeah. yeah. That's always been the case with Ultron. And as much as I love Age, Age of Ultron, um, <laughs> that is one thing that frustrated me because in the comics, you know, Ultron frequently, and in the cartoons, Ultron frequently goes, goes like one on everybody with the Avengers. And most of the time he wins because he is that sort of ruthless. And it was good to uh, see that in What If. And it was just good to, you know, given the interconnected sort of storytelling here and that they were going to, you know, uh, make this team at the end of the show. You needed a you know, villain who is worthy enough to sort of have that much of attention so that the Guardians of the Multiverse can come together. And, ulti- and uh, Mega Ultron, excuse me, Ben, um, is definitely sort of fit the bill in that regard. Uber Ultron, surely. Ultra Ultron. Come on, Ultra what Ultron. are we doing? What are we doing? We're just <laughs> no. faffing around here. We're meant to be writers for the love of God. Ultra Ultron. No. No, I mean, try yes. saying it three times fast. It's a terrible tongue twister. It doesn't work. Ultra, Ultron, no. Ultra, Ultron, Ultra, that Ultron. That wasn't fast. Ultra, um, Ultron, Ultron. Ben Mega Ultron. <laughs> I'm a call Mega Ultron. Anywho, uh, yeah, no, no, no. But look, I, I, I did miss James Spader's voice in his case. I will say that. Yes, I, thought, I um, did. You don't realise how good he is at that until you have someone else in the role who was fine, but no James mm-hmm. Spader. All right, so we're going in reverse order. So that means, Helen, it is now your turn to choose a moment. I enjoyed Thor versus Captain Marvel. I enjoyed it because <laughs> this, to me, is exactly what a what-if show should be doing. It should be giving us ridiculous reasons for superheroes to fight so we can see who would win in a fight. Um, that's the kind of silliness I want to see from this. So uh, I thought that was really fun. It's just a really fun episode as well, which, again, after all the doom and gloom of the previous two or three in particular, I really felt I needed it at that point, and yeah, Party Thor kind of brought the party. So that was that was a lot of, that was a lot of fun. But um, but yeah, uh, him and him and uh, Captain Marvel kind of slamming each other into various national mon- monuments was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also did something which I wish you know when Thor had me on there, he would do more often, which is place me on there on somebody and just you know yes. <laughs> end the fight. He hasn't done it since the first Thor movie. No, doesn't he do it to Hulk in uh, the Avengers? Does he? He doesn't. He doesn't place it on him. Like Hulk tries to lift it. He places and it he on can't. Loki, but he doesn't. He put, yeah, he doesn't place it on on Hulk. Um, maybe when Jane gets the hammer in Love and Thunder, she will be smarter about it. What if? What if Jane gets the <laughs> hammer in Thor: Love and Thunder? Yes, indeed. Good moment. I'm on. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take things down uh, a darker path here. Because <laughs> uh, it is still one of my favourite moments, which is the end of the Doctor Strange-centric episode where he uh, loses his reality, his universe, uh, essentially. Um, which was very, very impactful and gave me the feeling that I wanted to feel from Infinity War in just terms of the, you know, nothing can be done. This is irrevocably changed. and there's no coming back from this. I feel like that was done very, very effectively. And that entire episode, the sort of a character study of Doctor Strange, and then the ending of that was really, really uh, well done and really, really interesting to compare and contrast to the Doctor Strange that we see in MCU Prime as well. That downbeat ending was my favourite, I think, of all of them. Because um, mm-hmm. it it did come as a genuine surprise. I did feel like right will triumph here and, and you know yep. restore itself and uh and they didn't do that and that was a bit of a that was a bit of a shocker but it was a little bit more emotionally compelling i think than the couple of episodes maybe i'd seen before that and uh yeah i thought it was a good good episode 
having Cumberbatch be the star of the show and really the star of that episode really gives it that that heft. If it had been a bad Cumberbatch sound alike, I don't think it would have quite have worked. It was interesting who really stepped up um, in terms of their voice performance. I feel like Cumberbatch is one. I feel that um, Tom Hiddleston dialed it up a notch was stunning. And I think Chris Hemsworth almost gave us a different spin on Thor. He was almost a, a, a slight, well, certainly for Party Thor, but, but even otherwise, <laughs> he, was, he was a little bit more outrageous, more loose, more kind of having fun than he had been on screen. And, and that was really interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, Cumberbatch was, for me, the best MCU sort of voice actor in this, which is not really a surprise considering so he has done that sort of work mm-hmm. before. He also obviously Smog in uh, Destination of Smog, and he uh, voiced Dormammu in Doctor Strange. Um, so he's, he's well sort of, you know, schooled in the art of voice acting. I think that really came through uh, in the show. That episode as well. I mean, that, it, that was such a downer ending. It, it was of all the downer endings yeah. in the show, that was the most impactful because it felt like a real mm. culmination of that story. It felt quite shocking. Mm. Uh, but the thing I loved with that episode, it, it just made me so excited for Multiverse of Madness because we've heard for so long that the Doctor Strange sequel is going to be, in its own way, like a Doctor Strange horror movie. Which, I mean, stick some horror in the MCU, and I'm a hundred percent there. But the fact that this episode was dark, that it was a kind of horror-inflected tale, that you had a lot of horror-inflected visuals, the fact that sort of Doctor Strange became more demonic, effectively, as the episode went Mm -hmm. on, really gave me a sense of what that horror element within the MCU could look like in a Doctor Strange context. And if they can channel some of that into Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, I will be very happy indeed. I feel like they're already sort of seeding uh, that sort of, you know, the hubris overwhelming Doctor Strange a little bit in with um, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and him doing that spell that he probably shouldn't have done. Uh, so I would not be surprised if like, Multiverse of Madison continues that path and sees Strange cross a line that he'll then try and sort of get, find his way out of. Um, excited to see that one. Yeah, he, there's, a, there's a, <laughs> a, a void to be filled by a an arrogant, goatee-bearded um, <laughs> uh, know-it-all who constantly makes the wrong decisions. And uh, I think Strange could well step into Tony's shoes in, in that regard. Uh, and also, I think w- there's a couple of really interesting things about that. You're, you're right. It shows the, the darkness that is ever just a cigarette paper's width away from intruding on Strange's life. You know, there's, he's he's battling all the time and working all the time with with dark magic and uh uh and there's you know there's every possibility that if he just makes the wrong choice that that could you know be a very corrosive thing that i could invade his soul and and, uh, once he starts down that dark path forever will it dominate his destiny quite possibly you you never know there's another element as well i really liked in that episode and also with some other characters as well is that it felt that the show was taking advantage of the fact that it was animated to really play up Mm. characters and uh, power them up and nerf them almost to their full potential you know so mm-hmm. strange strange supreme is doing things that you know they they so far haven't even been able to really even go near in the in the live action version captain marvel was was pretty nerfed up thor was pretty nerfed up uh, yeah there was uh, there was uh, some some good old power amplification going on let the record show that uh, the whole time Chris was doing that, Amon was doing his own Sorcerer Supreme <laughs> hand waving. It was you've been practicing that. That was a good look. Well <laughs> I do think to Chris's point that it makes sense that you 
nerf everybody up to use that phrase for some reason um, in animation <laughs> because you know the the thing with like Pixar have this thing about asking about all of their films why does this need to be done in animation um, you know why does this need to be an animated story as opposed to any other kind of filmmaking and and of course increasingly nowadays they can do anything with with live action and heavy dollopings of CGI but. This show, I think, does use the full extent of that animation when it goes for these insanely huge, you know, epic multiverse spanning battles. And you're like, yes, that does actually need to be in animation. Yeah. All right. You're, mm-hmm. You've convinced me. I love it when they do that because it just feels like closer to the comics. Like Thor, in the first Thor, we get that scene with him and the Frost Giants. I was like, okay, that was cool. But until sort of like um, Ragnarok, we didn't get like Thor is a god, and we didn't really sort of you know, feel that or see that on screen until Ragnarok, and then in Infinity War when he gives new meaning to the phrase divine intervention in Wakanda. That is when we fully sort of oh. see th- see Thor come into his. Do you, you like know, that moment? Well, you never <laughs> mentioned it. I'm on. That's so weird. That's strange. A little bit. A little bit. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, I I love it um, that they do this in animation, and you know they they constantly escalate that. As the series goes on, we get Doctor Strange versus Doctor Strange. Then we get Captain Marvel versus Thor. Then we get Uati versus Ultron. And then we get the Guardians of the Multiverse versus Ultron. And the way in which they just continually escalate the cosmic action throughout is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, someone made a point. I think it might have been Ben uh, or Helen or Amon. Pick your pick, really. <laughs> Can't remember who it was. Um, hedge my bets someone made the point that there are a lot of downer episodes in this show and this is true this is true and it it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security as well because the first episode with you know Captain Carter and the Hydra Stomper and all that stuff has a downer downer ending but it makes sense because it's a riff on the first Avenger which has until Infinity War came along Lee downer ending in the MCU uh, I had a date. Oh, Steve! He had a oh, date! Steve. <laughs> little Steve! Oh, no! Uh, episode two, which is the fun episode with T'Challa as Star-Lord. I don't really recall it having a down Randy. Yeah. That seems to be quite... F- it's pretty It's pretty full, on, but but you do see yeah. Ego t- turning up to lift Peter Quill. Yeah, but that's, that's all right. That's fine. That's, <laughs> that's okay. T'Challa saves him in... Um- uh, the final episode. Yeah, T'Challa saves him. So it's not cool. a downer ending at, at all. And episode three, of course, has like the Avengers being killed in horrible ways, uh, which is uh, the first really exciting exploration of, oh, this is really different. This is mm-hmm. this is not what I was expecting at all. I wasn't expecting Hulk to go out that way, for example. Have mm-hmm. they really just killed Tony Stark? Yes, they have, because they hate Tony Stark <laughs> and they want to kill him at every possible opportunity. But it was episode four, five, and six. There's a run of like downer ending to Killmonger mm-hmm. episode where he kills everybody there's there's uh, the zombies episode in which everyone dies and then just to compound matters when you think there's a a ray of hope not hope van dyne but actual hope at the end of the episode along comes zombie thanos and fucks the whole thing up so there is this (laughs) run of downer episodes and i did ask ac bradley and brian andrews about that and why they were trying to bum us out man here is their response we we did go darker Tone-wise, that was one of the things that enticed me to do the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already kind of said goodbye to animation, but this was too good of an opportunity because we could play with every genre mm-hmm. and play with all these characters. 
so that's also why we didn't have a writer's room. I was like, I kind of want to get my fingers in every single episode as much as I can. So we brought on the other writer is Matthew Chauncey. who's a very good friend of mine, incredibly talented writer. It's our third show together. And we were both like, it basically became a contest of like, which toys we can each play with and stealing and like what <laughs> mm-hmm. genres we want to do. Like he knows how to write a great heist episode. Um, he's written other episodes like that before. And I love them. So he's like, I'm doing T'Challa. I'm taking T'Challa. <laughs> and I was like, and I believe it or not, was like, Iron Man is mine. He's like, I know. I know if I try and take Iron Man off you, you will, you will throw him up. <laughs> I'm going to kill that guy in a bunch of really interesting ways. Just you wait. <laughs> it's not. And so we kind of like, that was the fun of it was like kind of being able to explore different genres, different tones. Now, when it came to the twist endings, that was pulled directly from the comics. Uh, what if was notorious for kind of, sh- in a way, almost proving that the main timeline was the best timeline because everything always ended in disaster. And we wanted to kind of always go to places where the movies would never go, which means killing all the Avengers, mm-hmm. zombie Thanos. Um, I hope it wasn't too much for the audience. We didn't mean to, like, you know, gut punch everyone in the last 30 seconds constantly. We knew we would probably see a lot of these worlds again in episode uh, nine. Yeah. But it came from this place of one wanted to do right by the comics and two just wanting to go to places that we just knew you'll never see in Avengers 5. Yeah. And also, like in animation, you don't often see now we're going to see lots of stuff where animation gets way more you know, like adult or even TV 14, you know, it's, it's not just for like kids, you know? Um, and throughout my career, it's always been studios just thinking that everything stops at age seven or age 10 and not allowing anything to be animated. That's beyond that. Unless it was like hardcore, crazy, violent, whatever. And then that just goes the other end of dumb because it's now they're just glorifying a bunch of stuff because they can. And, and maybe the stories aren't that great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ever since college, me and everyone I went to school with, you know, we always, we wanted more out of animation. It's taken us, taken all of us a long time to get to a place where we can have influence and try to make things a little push it, you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. this was a perfect opportunity to do so. It's like, we can have things that go darker than the movies. We can have things that go a little bit more comedy than the movies you know i mean here 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 is the grab bag you know it's like the baseline is the marvel movies and then we can go in different directions from that from that action adventure baseline you know that tv 14 baseline and we mean and scott, that was scott lang's head in a jar <laughs> yeah that's in the original yeah. zombie comics we had to do that <laughs> we had to okay so that was more stuff from macy bradley and brian andrews and now it is time. We're going to do a speed round okay. real quick. Um, I'm going to mix it up this time. So I'm going to come to Helen first on sure. this one. Pick another moment. Um, the Thanos joke in the Star-Lord episode, in the Black Panther <laughs> Star-Lord episode. Now, yes, T'Challa in this episode is a bit of a Mary Sue and can do no wrong and is improbably successful at everything he turns his hand to. On the other hand, the idea What's of him just... Paul Atreides? <laughs> hey. <laughs> On the other hand, the idea of him talking Thanos out of genocide is yes. wonderful and hilarious and I adore it. It was the best joke in the entire series. And James is furious about the whole thing. Of course. Yeah. He <laughs> wants genocide, goddammit. And uh, he will not stop until he gets some. Yeah. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. We should really like stop him form some kind of, I don't know, Avengers or something. I think, I, I say we let this play out and see where the chips fall. I, 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 I have <laughs> concerns about that strategy, I'm just saying. 
Podvengers assemble. <laughs> Guardians of the Podiverse. Uh, <laughs> let's make it happen. Let's take down James. Let's take him down. I'm there. All right, good, 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 good. Uh, I'm on. Next. Queen Ramonda. Uh, sorry, General Ramonda yes. in uh, What If Killmonger Rescued Tony Stark was awesome to the power of awesome multiplied by awesome, and I want to see it in live action. It's an awesome please. cube. Thank you. Is that, is that, that's a lot of awesome. <laughs> I love that you showed your working. It was a lot of awesome. He did. He had a little graph and everything. It was, it was quite something. He clearly spent some time on it. I do like it when royals turn out to be, you know, generals as well, Badass. like Leia and so on. But yeah. The only problem with this entire show, I thought, was that, well, the only, one of the problems with with (laughs) this entire show was there wasn't enough Okoye, but I did appreciate Mm -hmm. Raymonda getting her moment in the sun, as it were. Mm. Yes. What do we think of, because as I said earlier on, this was Chadwick Boseman's swan song. Mm. Uh, This was the, you know, the the last performance from Chadwick Boseman is in this show. Uh, And what do we make of that and what do we make of the the various incarnations of T'Challa all the way through the season I thought it was really really good um, I I loved him in episode 2 which is the one where he gets the most to do mm. I just think he gets to display so many different sort of, uh, colours of uh, T'Challa in that episode from sort of the humour to just the righteous heart and the, his good nature um, and I feel like they did a good job of this across the entire series with a lot of characters but with T'Challa, especially in that episode, they nailed down the essence of what makes him such a good uh, T'Challa. Um, I feel like that episode nailed, nailed in the most. Um, there are a couple of other, <laughs> there are a couple of episodes where he sort of goes to harder times, shall we say? There's one uh, in which he sort of dies, and you know that that was just hard. Mm. Given it's hard to watch, given uh, reality, what's taking place yeah. in, in our world, yeah. and it was really because I, I didn't feel like that he died actually in the moment. It was only when uh, I saw the coffin and like the scene afterwards. I was like, "Oh crap! They really he's he's dead in this in this reality." Um, but I thought that was sort of uh, you know very effective as a moment. Um, but yeah, across across the entire series, um, Chadwick was great, and he'll be very very missed uh, in and this. Him role. getting to be so funny and so loose, especially as you say in that second episode, because in the films, yeah. especially well, he comes into Civil War and and T'Chaka dies, and then throughout Black Panther, mm-hmm. he's wrestling with a lot of stuff. He's wrestling with legacy and he gets kind of cool action moments and he gets to do a couple of quips and stuff, but he's he's carrying a lot mm-hmm. in that film. And mm-hmm. part of the, the the kind of what if of this all is that if he gets plucked off by the Ravages, he's off in space sort of gadding about and getting to be a bit of an adventurer mm-hmm. and stuff. So letting him play all the strains of T'Challa that we know, but without that baggage, mm. with that lightness, with that mm. playfulness, but still carrying a through line, I thought his his voice performance was was one of the best in the show as well, it, alongside Tom Hiddleston and people who kind of brought the essence of what they portrayed on screen and maybe amped it up a bit to complement the animation. I thought he was really, really excellent. Mm. Speaking of humour, uh, that moment episode two when uh, it's Korath versus T'Challa for a bit, is so funny. I love Jaimon Honsu in that scene, mm-hmm. um, in particular. He, he's he's fantastic in all across the episodes. Just every line delivery, he nails it, and basically every other one got a big laugh from me. Uh, but that that moment in particular was awesome. And uh, we also have AC Bradley and Brian Andrews talking about T'Challa and how they use T'Challa throughout the season, and in fact, the discussion and internal debate they had about. 
how they show T'Challa dying at the hands of Killmonger in episode six, given, of course, the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman in real life. So here we go. Have a listen. Yeah, especially given how Killmonger had treated his own T'Challa. Exactly. And, and we had some more moments in there that kind of addressed a little bit of that stuff. But for time, um, we had to cut a few of them. And then also just the way they interacted in lieu of, of Chadwick's passing. There, there was some banter that they had that we felt that didn't quite, it just, it just didn't sit the same way. And we really didn't do that for much of anything in regards to everything kind of worked the way it was supposed to work. But that was like, there was only one that was like, oh, in hindsight, yeah, we don't, we don't want them to have that exchange. Um, it just doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth. So there was a couple of that stuff that we had to. In, in a way, you know, did that even, even what happens in episode six, when Killmugger does take out T'Challa, did, did Chadwick's passing give you pause about even showing that, even going there? Yes. There was, yeah, th- there was a bit of pause for a moment just because we were like, oh my goodness. But then I was sitting on it for a while. And, you know, I think, you know, I, hold on, Brian, I'm going to cut you off, but we should pause that. Go for we it. We already had the animatic locked when Chadwick passed. We were yeah. like, this is, he, the it's, script was long written. It was, pat- it was at the animation house. Sorry, Brian. So make yeah, sure no, it's true. Having this conversation. It, it was like, it was like done. It's like the animation, you know, the, the show was being, was happening. We were getting mm-hmm. scenes back animation. So we we're like way down the way. And the idea of like losing that episode seemed like what it would be a lot. And um, I remember Brad and I were talking about it a little bit and, and, and I had mentioned something, you know, I, I was of the mind that's like, well, no, because when this comes out, it's going to be quite right now it's raw because it just happened but a year from now we're going to feel differently we're going to want to see as much of them as we can and i think kevin was in the same mind because he eventually then told us that you know kevin was just like you know chadwick was fully aware of these episodes he understood these stories and he, he wanted these to be out so we're going to do it you know so it's 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 fine it's just it, it does hit differently when you when you watch it but then there's such that the beautiful ending where he meets, you know, T'Challa in the ancestral plane and, and, and T'Challa has these very, um, you know, uh, choice words for him, you know, these very wise, wise words. It's just so great. And then we also knew that like in episode six, right, there's that moment where they're in the thing. He's like, you know, in my culture, death is not the end. It's like, we had no idea, but that it comes across so differently oh, yeah. now, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, we just wanted to keep as much of them in as possible and not, not have a knee jerk reaction right at the moment. Yeah. And I'm glad that Kevin was like kind of the steady hand on the tiller, you know, he's just like, don't worry guys, it's going to be fine. Okay. So that was more AC Bradley and Brian Andrews. And we're about to wrap this up folks. We're about to bring this bad boy home. Um, are there any other moments, anything else you want to get off your chest about season one of What If? I mean, I know you brought this up very briefly before, but can we talk about the fact they exploded the Hulk? Hulk exploded. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was watching that episode thinking, oh, this is really interesting. We've, we've talked about them reclaiming lesser loved MCU movies through other bits of storytelling so you think of of age of ultron and thor the dark world and you go oh this is the first time they're really bringing the incredible hulk back into the fray oh they're doing something oh my god they blew up the hulk um <laughs> <laughs> oh my god they blew up the hulk. which you can have your honey i blew up the hulk <laughs> um they should have called the episode that that would have been great um 
It might have been a spoiler. I also you couldn't call because it, it was everyone was what if, and then a sentence. So that would yeah. have been what if, honey, I blew up the Hulk, and that wouldn't have made any I sense. Still whatsoever. would have accepted it. It would have been great. Um, <laughs> what if, honey, I blew myself, <laughs> and it was just Tobias Funke. <laughs> When he when he uh, explodes, you see the uh, the little uh, denim shorts go flying. <laughs> yes, he's a never, he's a never nude. nude. That's what Bruce Banner is essentially. Bruce Banner is a never nude. So the oh, connections no. between Bruce Banner and Tobias Funke are huge. And now, whenever we next see Mark Ruffalo in the MCU, I want to see him dress up as Mrs. Featherbottom and infiltrate the Avengers <laughs> compound. But in an attempt, so that you know, it, but obviously thinking that his disguise is perfect and they can't see through the disguise, and they they you know, they all know obviously as Bruce Banner in a dress, and uh, and and who's left? T- uh, going up to the new Captain America, Sam Wilson, and asking if he's ever popped a banger into his mouth. Um, that is what I want Bruce Banner to do now in the MCU going forward. Pop a banger in your mouth, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> Well, I must say that She-Hulk is going in a different direction than I expected, but I mean, it sounds entertaining. (laughs) Oh, oh, Bruce, you blowhard. There's so many poorly chosen words in that sentence. Oh, I love Tobias. Anyway. they exploded the Hulk. And it was quite they visceral did. when it happened. It, it was, let out like yeah. a, a shockwave um, in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in the show and in audiences everywhere, I think. Well, as we know, Hulk is kind of immortal um, mm. to an extent. There's a there's a, a comic book about that as well. But I, I I feel very strongly that given time and given his healing factor and his sheer will and his sheer desire not to be killed, that the Hulk would have T-1000 himself and he would have gradually wow. all his component parts and bits and oh, bits wow. of blood and veins and, you know, this in his inner, you know, pan- his pancreas and his lower intestine, all that sort of stuff would have gradually now that looped yeah. back together again. That is the episode I would have liked to see. It was like a really experimental episode, <laughs> and it's a single shot over the course of half an hour. And and for the first five minutes, you go, I don't think anything's happening. It's like slow cinema, but gradually the Hulk reforms in front of your eyes. What yeah. if the Hulk was a pile of goo? <laughs> What if Hulk was a widely dispersed pile of goo? A widely dispersed pile of goo, <laughs> and then he has Compelling. to kind of, yeah, he has to re- re- reconfigure himself. Sure, to come back. it's like the Krypton factory. He has to, he has to solve his own puzzle. That's what I want to see from the Hulk. And then he could have had just a single line of dialogue. He could have had an Aunt May style, "What the fuck." And had, that could have been <laughs> your first and last line of the episode. Cut to credits, guys. Guys, it's a good pitch, but I gotta say. Would not watch. I, it, I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not convinced. Mind you, there was, isn't there a comic where Hulk rips Wolverine in half and throws yes. one half like across a mountain and the other half yes. has to crawl and get his legs? So it, it's basically like that. that. That works for me. That works for me. You know, Hulk, Hulk's healing factor is something that hasn't really been fully explored in the MCU. Why Banner still has a dodgy arm, um, it may be testament to the, I think that, to the yeah, fact that the yeah, power yeah, of the Infinity yeah. Stones and they really did properly you know, do a number on him and, fr- and fry his arm proper. Mm. But oh, I don't know. He should, he should at least be able to play softball. <laughs> Softball, but not hardball. Again. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Not yet. Uh, anyway, uh, is there anything else? Because I got, I got to wrap this up. I think I, that's I've got to talk to Cyclops. There's one moment we haven't talked about okay. uh, in the final episode. Uh, Thor chanting Vegas as he's <laughs> trying to kill Ultron <laughs> yeah. is awesome. 
it's so funny. I love that moment. All right. Okay. So that is season one of What If. It is done. It is in the can. We know there's going to be a season two. Very quickly, who would you like to see more of and what do you expect to see from season two? I obviously want to see more of Captain Carter. Duh. And I would like to see more just wild, unconnected swings for the fences. Just give me, give me crazy stuff. That's what I want. I want a bit of Shang-Chi and a bit more Ooh. fun. Ooh. Is what I would like. I want more Doctor Strange. I feel like there's, you know, very few limits, uh, especially in the animated realm of what you can do with that character. And uh, given that they've done, they've done such a good job with all the stuff that's focused on him in this season, I feel like they can sort of take that up a few degrees again. That's very interesting. That is very, very interesting indeed. Shang-Chi, that's a very, very mm. good shout. I would say mm-hmm. that uh, the Guardians were a bit undersold in this, in this entire season. It's becoming a uh, theme. It is becoming a bit of a theme, but uh, Peter... They do have that their own like, Christmas special coming up, plus a film. So this is true. They, they do. <laughs> they do. Uh, but, you know, we had we had a Dave Bautista sound alike. We had a Chris Pratt sound alike. We had a Gamora sound alike. Hard to tell. I can't even remember if Groot was in it, but if it was, whether they got League Root or just a sound alike, I don't really know. But I feel that they could maybe be involved a little bit more than they were mm. uh, going forward. But, uh, yeah, I'd, yeah, more standalone episodes, more craziness, giving characters a bit more of a spotlight and and maybe just taking some of the, as we said in the spoiler special, taking some of those kind of fun moments from the MCU and kind of exploring them a little bit more. As I said, you know, what if Thor had been given the right directions on the tube or completely wrong directions and ended up in, in High Barnet instead of Greenwich and then your elf bloke won at the end of Thor The Dark World and it was all Thor's fault because he was wow, given terrible Malekith's directions. Wow, Malekith's back. Fantastic. <laughs> Malekith, that's his name. That's his name. Yes. Malekith, the, the unconvincing. Uh, Malekith, the unmemorable. I couldn't remember him. So him. Uh, but anyway, I've got to run because I've got to talk to Cyclops. Uh, so true story. True story, folks. Check out this week's Empire Podcast or possibly next week's for more Cyclops related fun. But until then... Uh, that is it for now. That's what I call the very best of what if dot 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 question mark volume three. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it every bit as much as we've endured making it. Keep peeled, of course, for more Empire podcasts coming your way. We have the regular podcast out every single Friday. We have podcast specials that come out every now and again. And if you don't already subscribe to the Spoiler Special channel, then I can heartily, heartily recommend it. Uh, we have incredible spoiler specials in there, over 200 and counting. You get access to the entire archives. Uh, most of those have wonderful interviews. <laughs> wonderful interviews. I, I did most of them, so um, I'll just say competent. <laughs> competent interviews with the filmmakers behind some of the biggest movies of the last 10 years and ones that don't have us four giggling idiots instead. Uh, or just a, a compendium of four giggling idiots um, in case we weren't available. So yeah, it's well worth your time and there's loads of stuff coming your way over the next few weeks, including uh, Halloween Kills with David Gordon Green, The Last Duel with Nicole Hall of Center, Venom Let There Be Carnage with Andy Serkis, Last Night in Soho with Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson-Kearns. The list goes on, folks. So come on in. The water is lovely. But anyway, however we meet again, until then... Until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning squadcast names. Party Thor. It's Ben Travis. Vegas! (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, Ben. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Warman Supreme Amon Warman. (laughs) 
<laughs> Beast. Wow. <laughs> He's okay. casting more spells at his people. Be be afraid. Be afraid. Yes. <laughs> and it's goodbye from Captain Peggy America Carter. <laughs> Toodle. Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Which is reference. That's uh, that's the end game, isn't it? Ant Man. Yeah. Ant Man. Captain Steve America Rogers. Yes. Yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, and uh, it's goodbye for me, Quee. <laughs> Where's Tom Hiddleston when you need him? The man's fluent in Latin. <laughs> Qui custodit vigilem, which apparently, according to Google Translate, is who watches the watcher. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Uh, if that's wrong, then blame Google Translate or Googleum Translatum, as I believe it is in Latin. Uh, anyway, what? What? Anyway, um, I'm off now to scrape up bits of the Hulk put them into petri dishes <laughs> and just see what happens. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.